From The Cut and Gimlet Media, this is The Cut on Tuesdays. I'm your host, Molly Fisher. Before Britney Spears had a Vegas residency, before she was on The X Factor, before she shaved her head or chased paparazzi with an umbrella, there was a time when she was just a pop star, staying in with her husband, eating snacks. I know this because I've seen it on YouTube. We have a column at The Cut called I Think About This A Lot, where people describe the pop culture artifacts they've got stuck in their heads. This Britney Spears video is mine. It's from the period when Britney and her then-husband, Kevin Federline, We're making a reality show for UPN called Britney and Kevin Chaotic, about how Britney's life was chaotic. In the video, it's 2004. Britney's wearing a trucker hat, eating French fries occasionally, burping, and then cracking herself up. Kevin's filming, which she gives him a little bit of a hard time about. She tells him that he's being weird and to quit looking at her through the peephole. They talk about how she wants to see the movie spun. Then Britney grows reflective. I feel like I've been missing out on life. Like what part of life? Life, like things and things going on. Like I feel like I'm behind or something. I know that sounds so weird, but no, I do. This video was presented to me as Britney Spears stoned. But I should be perfectly clear. I cannot confirm that Britney smoked cannabis prior to filming. I will just say this. As a person who likes to get high, eat snacks, and then say confusing things to her husband, I identify with this Britney Spears. I don't know if I've ever actually said that I'm missing out on life and things, but the general tone is familiar. It brings me comfort to know that I, like Britney, have found an outlet for this urge. Kevin Federline is essentially a charmless person, but I even feel somewhat fond of him when I watch this video. There's just something endearing to me about a glimpse of stoned intimacy behind closed doors. Stoned intimacy, specifically. I would not find this appealing in the same way, I think, if they were drunk or doing a bunch of coke. Stoned, to me, doesn't suggest fucked up so much as guileless, a little vulnerable, gently weird. It's an in-between state. And there's an in-betweenness generally to weed right now. It's not quite legal, but it's not quite illegal either. It's accepted, but not totally normalized. It's not quite medicine, and it's not quite a beer, and it's not quite green juice either. Whether the police treat it as a big deal or not depends on who you are and where you live. It's all in flux, so it's tricky to know the right way to talk about it. But that's also why, on this week's show, we wanted to try. We'll start with a very basic question. What do you do when you get high? Do you like to go out into the world high, or do you primarily like to be at home high? Be at home, yeah. Yeah. With my like surrounded by all my comforts. (laughs) (laughs) That's Allison Davis. She's a writer at The Cut and also, in my opinion, a weed thought leader because she's always traveling to California and coming back with opinions about which vape pens are best. Personally, I feel like I sound like a dorky teenage boy whenever I bring up weed, so I was excited to have a professional excuse to ask Allison about her habits. Are there comforts that are particularly beloved to you while you are high? Yeah, I like my pillows. Sometimes I'll just bring all the pillows from my bed and lie on them in the living room. Like a little nest? Like a little nest, yeah. (laughs) And I can't eat, like, crunchy stuff when I'm high because it might get dry mouth. 
So it's like ice cream or honestly Swiss Miss pudding is the best thing to eat while high. Nice <laughs> wet sweet. <laughs> mm, wet and sweet. <laughs> in a nest of pillows eating sweet wet foods. <laughs> That's like a fetus. Like an infant like not chewing. I, I not guess I just turned into like the fetus. Yeah, like a baby. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like it so much. It yeah. says rebirth every time. <laughs> Curled up like an infant in a pillow nest is one flavor of high activity, but it's not the only one. We put out a call to our listeners and a bunch of other women we knew. Here's what you told us about how you get high. I was hanging out with some girlfriends the other night, decided to eat some edibles and watch rice paint. It was like, oh, like... You also do this at home? So I actually just smoked a bowl. Date pen. Edible. An undertongue spray. Gravity bong. Hot box the inside of my ukulele. I'm about to do some personal finance work. Go to the grocery store. Hot yoga. Go jogging. And then just do like a chore. I basically Marie Kondo my house. Like to line up all my skincare bottles. Really get deep and dirty into those ingrown pubic hairs. Cover myself in sunscreen, get high, go to a tanning bed, and sit. I love to masturbate. Do weird art things that don't have a point. Oh my god, the Whitney high. I have two kids, but I have a two-year-old. My favorite activity to do is actually hang out with them. I like to go to the zoo with her, and I like to wander in the woods with her. I have a best friend when we do get high. We go into a closet that I have in my house, and we like these gymnastics moves. I have no idea why, but that's what we do in the closet. If you're interested in peeking behind closed doors at the way weed fits into different private lives, there's an obvious pop culture starting point. High maintenance. The TV show is a collection of vignettes about New Yorkers who all happen to share the same weed dealer. I'm very excited to be here. I hope that I'm not crashing the girls' party. (laughs) This is Ben Sinclair. I talked with him and Katya Blickfeld. They're co-creators of the show. High Maintenance got its start as a web series. Episodes were less than 10 minutes long. Katya and Ben wrote them together and filmed them in their friends' Brooklyn apartments. The show has expanded in scope since those early days, but it's kept the sense of intimacy that comes with seeing people doing something that's just slightly illicit. It's not strictly about weed. It's about all these different people who just happen to use weed. But it does perfectly capture the strange hybrid state of weed in New York over the last decade, where it's accepted but not quite out in the open yet. That half-hidden state is actually what brought Ben and Katya together. We met at a party, and, like, I brought my own pipe and weed and my own, like, equipment. I did. Yeah. Yeah. It was in a green travel soap container. You know, when I first met you, I felt like you were so much more mature than me and more accomplished. And I had all of these illusions of, like, you were better than me. And then when you brought the weed out, I'm like, oh, wait, we're both. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're both all fucked up. One of us. (laughs) They were thinking about collaborating right from the beginning. The first real, like, long hang we had was, like, getting super stoned and and actually spitballing ideas for a television pilot. Like, we were just coming up with stories, and we were stoned, and then we kept doing it. Ben and Katya made the first three episodes of High Maintenance back in 2012, the same year recreational marijuana was legalized in Washington and Colorado. 
now, 10 states have legalized and 13 more have decriminalized. Cannabis is a legitimate business. And High Maintenance, their scrappy DIY side project, is now on HBO. Other things have changed, too. Ben and Katya were a couple for a long time, but they aren't anymore. Although, while we were recording this interview, they were sharing a lip balm, which is to say, they're still pretty close. And their show has expanded in new directions. The dealer, played by Ben, has become more of an actual character. His job still helps structure the show, but really it's always been more about the people. The weed aspect, like, that that was a device. Exactly. Like, the delivery yeah. part, we were just like, oh, this is like a good premise for a revolving door situation to happen where we could very seamlessly have him go different places every episode and it would make sense. But, like, the weed part of it, I, we weren't, like, up on some soapbox being like, we need to change weed oh, culture. Sure. You know, but, like, I think... There I, was a bit of it. But there was a little bit. Like, I do very specifically remember being like... And people on our show should just smoke weed. Like, it's not a big deal. Because, like, people smoke weed. Everyone we know smokes weed. And they're successful people. And, like, why don't we see more of that? And that was just kind of—and I, I also think I was trying to normalize it for myself. Ben described how smoking went from teenage misbehavior to a slightly secretive adult identity to an actual source of success. When did you first smoke weed? Twelve. Wow. I grew up in the suburbs, and, you know, suburbs are a breeding ground for boredom and a breeding ground for, like, trouble because of that. So I probably tried to smoke, like, just, like, plant leaves first. Somebody sold us, like, fake <laughs> <Oregano>. stuff. Some, <laughs> Yum. No, I wish it was oregano or something. And I remember two attempts that didn't yield anything. And then the third attempt, which was outside of the Shea 14, which is a movie theater shopping center in Scottsdale, on like a median, like a grassy median on the Scottsdale Road. I remember taking a hit and then like all of the sounds that I wasn't hearing before rushing into my ears and then just rolling around in the grassy knoll laughing, just laughing so hard and being like, Eureka. He remembers the day when he came out as a stoner to his parents. The day after our wedding, oh, yeah. we were sending them off, and I remember going to the car with them and saying, hey, just so you know, you should know this about us. Like, we smoke, like, a ton of weed. And my dad was like, well, you know, some people eat waffles. And that was all he said about it. <laughs> and then a couple years later like once high maintenance came in they were just so like insanely proud of that that they started using weed as a way to like you know connect with me oh as like uh, hey you should come home because like you know dad got his medical card or whatever oh, yeah. he, and we got edibles <laughs> or whatever so ben has gone from hiding weed from his parents to hiding from his parents and their weed like anything in the throes of rapid social transformation the etiquette here is still catching up that's true even in the same kind of casually weed-friendly New York world that Ben and Katya depict on High Maintenance. Our building is just like Brooklyn building. Like, it's a biggish building, so like lots of families who we've known forever, like since our kids were babies, so we've known for like eight years. That's Nas. She and her husband Alex are editors on our show. And the other day, she was telling me about something that she's noticed, which is whenever they hang out and have dinner parties with their neighbor friends, there comes a point in the night when people start disappearing. They leave the table. They sneak off in little groups. It's especially the dads doing this. And Nas is left behind. I was just sitting there. You know, I was like sitting there talking to women, not drinking my wine <laughs> that I had. And then they would just like disappear and come back and disappear and come back. And, and that was it. They are disappearing and they are getting high together. 
and they never, ever, ever ask if Nas and Alex want to join them. This is my question. What do we give off so obviously? Like, what vibe are we putting into the world that no one ever asks us to smoke weed? It never never comes up. Like, no one has, literally for 20 years, no one has ever asked me to smoke weed. I have never wondered that until now. But now that you've, because I've always just been relieved because I don't want people to ask us to smoke pot because then we'll have to smoke pot with them. <laughs> you could say no. <laughs> or we could, or we really have to say no. But, yeah, my last experience with pot was like in high school and it involved a lot of peer pressure. So uh-huh. that's, I think that's what I still equate it with. We must be giving off a vibe, which is sad for me because like I, I do consider myself cooler than you. <laughs> <laughs> Like you think you think you're cooler than me? Okay. Based on what? Well, I've smoked more pot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, that's fair. Like that's I'm true. I'm not I I don't I've done more drugs than you. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. mean everyone has done more drugs than me. Like literally everyone. What do you think you would do if they did try to include you? How would you react? I would say no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Like Nas and Alex's building is the kind of place that would have been affectionately satirized in an early episode of High Maintenance when it was mostly focused on a specific slice of bougie Brooklyn. And embarrassingly for me, bougie Brooklyn is the weed context I know best. I was an extremely tame teen. This means I now lack skills and resourcefulness. I never learned how to sneak around parents or turn anything into a bong. But on the upside, I have also never tried to smoke a blunt made out of a grocery bag. Here's Allison Davis again. I think I was in, I want to say eighth grade, eighth or ninth grade, and I wanted to be invited to parties more than anything. So I got the weed and I went to the house party. I think the girl's name was Jen. She was like, she looks just like Cameron Diaz and therefore was the most popular girl in eighth grade. Sure. And I didn't know, (laughs) I didn't know how to smoke it. So I put unground chunks of weed into grocery bag and rolled it up. And I was like, it's a blood. Because oh, it, <laughs> it looked like when I looked up online and tried to smoke it, and everybody was like, ugh. <laughs> I didn't get invited back to many parties after that, to be honest. Growing up in the Baltimore suburbs, Allison was a much more adventurous teen than I was. And of course, weed is more adventurous to begin with if you're 14. Of course, it's exciting and illicit. Any teenager is going to be sneaking around their parents. But some parents have more to worry about than others. My parents definitely see weed as something that's much more of a criminal offense than anything because so many like people in Baltimore get arrested on very small marijuana charges and it's always been sort of part of the more corrupt police practices in Baltimore to be in the inner city and to like scoop up kids and bust them for like a little bit of pot. So I think in their heads, it's a much worse thing to do. Like it's never going to be cool. It's always going to maybe land you in prison. Well, did that sort of understanding of weed and its potential scariness inflect your experience at all growing up? No, I still thought stoner culture was so cool. (laughs) And now it's like, I I, I guess because I grew up in the suburbs and not in Baltimore City, it was a suburban pastime that you did, like hotboxing a car in a parking lot, as opposed to like something very serious on the streets. I don't know, but like hotboxing was 
like the most fun you could ever have besides going to Taco Bell. <laughs> you know? That's what Allison was doing one night when she was out with a bunch of friends. It was the summer after senior year of high school, so we were all about to go to college. And I guess because of that, we were feeling invincible. So we're hotboxing in my car in a light rail parking lot, which is highly patrolled by police officers because it's like a public transportation hub. And I had my foot on the brake, and I kept pushing it. And that definitely called the attention Lights. of the cop. <laughs> but you're like sitting in a car <laughs> at a public transit stop, flashing the lights of your car well, and smoking weed. Getting so high. Okay, okay. So yeah. smart. So all of a sudden, this cop car pulls up behind me, <laughs> like blocks me in so there's no way I could have just like booked it, you know. And my friend's like, what's going on? What's going on? So he comes and he knocks on the glass and he asks for my license and registration. And I couldn't find it because— I was high, and, like, my wallet had fallen on the back. So he makes all of us get out of the car and lines us up. And it's flashing the light in our eyes. Then turns to me and says, like, you need to find your license. But, Molly, he had a tracheotomy. So he was talking out of his, like, tracheotomy hole. And I was so high that I thought it was funny and started laughing, just hysterically, like, could not stop laughing to the point where he, like, pulled his billy club up and was like, I am an officer of the law. You need to respect me. And I was like, I don't really know what to do. And then the light rail security pulled up, and he happened to be a black guy and saw me, uh, I'm black, and was like, are you okay? What's going on? And stayed there until the cops let us go. And he just, like, let us off with a warning. I don't know what would have happened if that light rail guy hadn't pulled up because I was, like, Dying wow. laughing at a cop. I, I <laughs> Everything about that story is insane. It was really scary. And we freaked out for five minutes, and then we went to Cheesecake Factory, and that was the night. I told my dad's secretary, thinking she would think it's funny, and she was like, take my number, and if anything like this happens again, you call me so I can post bail. And I was like, wow, wow, everyone's taking this very seriously. I guess I should, too. <laughs> That's what being a teenager is. That's being like... Oh, oh yeah. I guess things matter. <laughs> I hadn't previously realized that, but it turns out my life is real. <laughs> I know. Crap. Yeah. There are consequences. <laughs> oh, my poor mother ever knew. She thought I was at the movies seeing like Mean Girls again <laughs> for the 18th time. <laughs> Allison was fine, but a trip to the Cheesecake Factory is not how this story ends for a lot of people. In 2017, there were just under 600,000 arrests for marijuana possession. And that number keeps climbing, even though more and more states are deciding weed is not a crime. If you're poor or if you're not white, you're way more likely to get arrested for smoking weed. The way the laws seem to apply to some people more than others, that's a major reason why people have supported legalizing weed. But even if weed were completely legal everywhere, it would still present another big question. That's coming up after the break. Welcome back to The Cut on Tuesdays. This week, we're talking about weed and about the way it exists at a kind of crossroads. Not quite legal, but not quite illegal. A no-big-deal indulgence for some people and a dangerous transgression for others. Weed is in flux, and what you hear about it depends on who you're talking to. But maybe the underlying question in all those conversations is this. In the grand scheme of things, is weed good for you or bad? Does it make you more functional or less? Does it help you be the person you want to be, or does it keep you from being that person? To go back to Brittany's lament, 
If you're staying home, eating snacks and smoking weed, are you missing out on life and things? Traditionally, the answer has been yes. The time-honored stereotype of the stoner is a burnout, a loser, a fuck-up, not someone who is in control of their life. But that's changing. Gia Tolentino is, by any measure, an extremely functional person. She's a staff writer at The New Yorker. She's got a book coming out later this year, and she has a very large, beautiful dog. She's also smoked, in her words, so much for so long. Uh, my mom, she would always text me, especially when I was in college, and be like, Gia, drugs are bad. Like, you're going to ruin your memory. At a certain point, I was like, listen, mom, like, I may be a recreational drug enthusiast, but I have never fucked up anything in my life. Yeah. So leave me alone. And like, possibly because I smoke so much weed, I actually used to have a sign, a little postcard on my desk reminding me to smoke weed. <laughs> What did it say? It literally was like, hey, Gia, are you in a bad mood? Do you need to stay in by yourself and listen to music and smoke weed and like chill out? You know, like write a little or read. This is something that seems to be a pretty common thing with my girlfriends. I have so many girlfriends that are um, really type A in output, really not type A on the inside and smoke a ton of weed. You know, it's like the Broad City thing, right? It's just it's just sort of the standard thing that most of my girlfriends are like. And I guess all, all of our mothers have had to make their peace with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's a through line, right? It's like, mom, we got really good grades in high school. Okay, let us have this now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, we're doing fine. We're paying our taxes. Everything's good. You know, it's like, Weed, it can make your life better. Amina So is co-host of the podcast Call Your Girlfriend. She smoked since college, but she saw a new side of the drug a couple years ago, after she got cancer. I was diagnosed with endometrial cancer at the end of 2017 and had a hysterectomy and an oophorectomy, which is basically they take out the whole sink your uterus, your fallopian tubes, your cervix, your ovaries, all of it is gone. We'd helped her deal with pain and nausea during treatment the way it does for lots of patients. But that's not what she was talking about when she said weed can make your life better. What she remembers most is what weed did for her afterward, when she was just starting to get back to her regular life. There was one day right after she left a checkup where the doctor told her everything was looking good. I waited until after the appointment to take an edible And I took myself out to lunch in Manhattan. And then I went to the MoMA. And I remember crying. I was so happy. (laughs) I I was so happy to feel like my old self. And to feel like I could still be out and about. And I wasn't in too much pain. And I didn't need somebody to, like, help me around. And here I was at the MoMA, like, looking at beautiful things. That's a day that I still think about. For Gia and Amina, the relationship between weed and the rest of their lives seems pretty clear. It's an escape hatch, an outlet that lets them be the extremely accomplished people they are the rest of the time. For other people, though, the relationship between pot and responsibility can feel a little blurrier than that. I have a very, uh, not love-hate relationship with weed. I don't hate it, but it, it does, it has me. That's Ben from High Maintenance again. It has me in its green, sticky little palms. And and I just, uh, I, I, there are so many times where I get down on myself for being dependent on weed. And then I go through this cyclical 
self-flagellating, this trying to prove that I'm stronger without it, and then a homecoming to it that that makes me wonder why I why I want to be so independent and strong and self-reliant when, I mean, you need food, you need all sorts of things. And when it's re- when you're smoking it all day, every day, yes, it is a problem. But if I like to smoke at the end of the day, what's wrong with that? There mostly is nothing wrong except for the fact that I'm smoking. I don't think I need to be as strong as I think I do. Huh. I can be a little more vulnerable and I can I can ask for a break. And that's the big thing with weed is it gives me a break. Yeah. yeah. It lets you off the hook temporarily from your own thoughts maybe or just from perceived pressures or real pressures. It definitely cuts you a break for a second. Yeah. Well, and it's it's the function of the drug itself, but it's also the way you kind of it almost it's not a placebo effect, but on some level it is like I'm signaling Sometimes, to myself that yeah. I'm off duty yes. now. Like I'm signaling to myself that I'm now experiencing pleasure. Like mm-hmm. I'm doing what I want to do. It's very yeah. that. For you and I especially, the act of smoking weed is a ritual. It's a bonding ritual. Yeah, yeah it's definitely it, a ritual. Yeah. Like even if I don't feel like smoking, I feel like <laughs> hanging out and bonding with you. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I've, there's been a few times, especially of late, where we've gotten stoned and then I've been like, wait, uh, I didn't. Oh, now I'm like really stoned. I didn't actually need to be like, why did I do that? And then I realized, well, it's just because like it's this thing that Ben and I like to do. Yeah. We like to the act of like we just like that act. We like, like going up to the roof. Yeah. <laughs> Away from everybody else. Yeah. And then having like... Having a chat. Having a chat. Staring off at the skyline. Yeah. Making a couple of weird jokes and inside jokes from like six years ago yeah. or whatever. And then, and then going back down and trying to remember what we were doing. Hey, Molly. It's Gia Tolentino. We talked a couple of days ago um, about weed and... The purpose or the nature of smoking weed for us. And I was realizing I hadn't actually thought about that in a long time. And today I got stoned and now I'm thinking about it again. And I was having a great Sunday and I was reading books and looking at clouds. And I realized that I think the thing that weed actually does for me is it, is it decouples purpose from experience. Like it places the experience I'm having over the purpose that it serves, which is why it's so pleasurable. And I think it's the function that makes it precious to me because it's so hard to decouple experience and purpose in an age where everything is monetized. I probably sound really high right now. And I realize that's why I like weed. And um, thanks for making me think about it. Anyway, if it's not very clear, I'm stoned. But thanks, Molly. Bye. I like the way Gia describes weed separating purpose from experience. The way it lets you absorb things without having to worry about making them useful. I think my life was all purpose, no experience from ages 14 to 24. And it still feels like a revelation to be reminded that it doesn't have to be that way. To go back to Brittany, we are all missing out on something. Sometimes, yes, because of weed. But choosing what things you'll miss out on, that's not a weed-specific problem. That's adult life. Just something to think about the next time you're watching the clouds or eating pudding in a nest made of pillows. 
That's it for this week's show. We'll see you next Tuesday. On Tuesdays is produced by Sarah McBee and Olivia Nat. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler. We're edited by Stella Bugbee, Nazanin Rafsanjani, and Alex Bloomberg, who I honestly have never thought is cooler than Nas. Mixing by Emma Munger. Our music is by Emma Munger and Haley Shaw. Our theme song is Play It Right by Amelia Meath, Nick Sanborn, Molly Sarley, and Alexandra Souser-Monig. Special thanks to Alice Kors, Soraya Shockley, Jessica Young, Alexia Lafata, Amanda Chicago-Lewis, Lauren Silverman, Anne Friedman, and Phoebe Unterman. The Cut on Tuesdays is a production of Gimlet Media and The Cut.